Speaking of Matt Dunstone, you're going to want to stick around, my friends. We got a little treat from him, but welcome to Tim and Friends for this Friday the 13th. Hope you're just a little stitious, not superstitious yeah. today, but just a little stitious. Jesse, does Friday the 13th uh, freak you out a little bit at, not all, at all in any way, not shape, or form? Maybe when I was younger, not at all now. No? No, you grow out of that, I think. You Maybe make your own luck. You make your own luck. Yeah? That's Yeah. Yeah, the harder I work, the luckier I am. 100%. Right. And just to make sure that maybe you are lucky today, maybe Friday the 13th is someone's lucky day, we are giving away a jersey signed by the team that you just saw win. Matt Dunstone's signed team jersey. That's right. The boys on Matt's team have put ink to, I believe, polyester and signed a <laughs> jersey for us well before their matchup with Team White. And all you got to do is stick around until just before draw 15 on Sportsnet 1 and send us a tweet that uses the hashtag TFCurl. That's right, number sign, no space, TFCurl. We are giving that bad boy away before the end of today's show. So get in on the action. Again, the hashtag is simple, TFCurl. That stands for Tim and Friends Curl. That's the show you're watching. I'm Tim McCall. That is Jesse Rubinoff over there. And that show today includes Nate Burleson, one of the best. Am I overstating this? One of the best in the business in the National Football League, Jesse Not Rubinoff. even close. Always brings the heat. John Wertheim, one of the best in the business in tennis. Am I overstating that? No, that's a fact. No, that is a fact. Aussie Open about to get underway. And don't tell him I said it, but Kevin BX is already one of the best in the business as well. He's got a big head. He'll get even bigger. But he joins us <laughs> before a rare Friday night Hockey night in Canada. That's right. Ron McLean this week is working more than one week. Oh, one day. No. Oh, no. I'm kidding. I kid because I love it's hockey day in Canada <laughs> next week where he does the whole thing with the thing going to Owen Sound. They're going to host the whole day. He's going to do things and talk about things that the we've never heard of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable stuff. So I'm just. I'm kidding, Ron McLean. In fact, I'm kind of nervous going into Hockey Night in Canada. Me too. It's, my, it's, my hands are perspiring a little bit more than usual. <laughs> yeah, more than sure. usual. Uh, Raptors third win in a row. Lots of hockey on the menu. And could a Canadian man win a Grand Slam in tennis? All on tap, but it starts with first things first. And my friend Jesse Rubinoff. So let's make it hotter. Glenn Michibata. First things first. Timmy, we've got three games in the National Hockey League tonight, and we've got two of them on Sportsnet, including, as you said, a special Friday edition of Hockey Night in Canada as the Jets visit the Penguins. Ron McLean and company will get you set immediately following this show. And later tonight, the Oilers visit the Sharks on Connor McDavid's 26th birthday. Hey. Viewers in the Edmonton region can see it on Sportsnet West at 10.30 Eastern time. We've got plenty to talk about from a busy Thursday in the NHL with 12 games and six Canadian teams in action. So where would you like to begin? I know it's been a tough year for the Vancouver Canucks, but what in the good name of Tony Tanti is going on now? I mean, just think about the last... Never mind what happened at the end of last year. Never mind an offseason that had a few of us confused about which way they were going to go. Never mind the start of the year and whether or not Bruce Boudreaux felt comfortable in his job with new leadership by his side. Never mind all of that. Just the last 24 to 48 hours, what has gone on with the Vancouver Canucks? A healthy scratch of a $66 million defenseman who has four more years on that $66 million contract remaining. When they sit down, said defenseman, OEL, 
Oliver Ekman Larson for the uninitiated. The coach says he's arguably our best defenseman, but sometimes you have to do what you think is best for the team. And that moment, that's apparently where I am. Ah, mm. uh, how about Tanner Pearson? He has his season ended by undergoing a second surgery on his hand since November when the team announced that on Thursday, yesterday. And when it was announced, Quinn Hughes says, and I quote, that wasn't handled right. I mean, the game last night was enough. They go down big once again, almost a comeback, but almost, almost never works. Mm-hmm. Only, only works in, what, horseshoes, hand grenades, yeah. shaves, close. Like, getting close means nothing in the game of hockey, though they did come close against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And despite being one of the NHL's worst teams, we still have not heard anyone suggest that a rebuild is on the way. In fact, from Rick Dollywall, yesterday the goal is to fix this for future seasons, not go to the bottom. Rick says, I have zero indication that they are going to go for Bedard. Jason Bruff this morning, Sportsnet 650, said that this was the lowest point in the franchise history since the Messier era. Oh, oh. That's Think tough. of all, that's just the last 24 to 48 hours. I, I didn't do any of this. I am not suggest. I am just laying out what has happened with the Vancouver Canucks over the last 24. This, 48 hours is even being considerate because most of what I just said is the last 24 hours, Jesse Rubinoff. Not even sure what they, I mean, we have talked ad nauseum about what they should probably do. But because they don't seem like they have chosen a direction, it feels like every week we come in here and talk about the misfortunes of the Vancouver Canucks, and there are plenty at the moment. But even with those misfortunes that we've already brought up, this is just the last 24 hours. Yeah. Like, someone really needs to go in there with a fine-tooth comb and figure out what the hell is going on. And listen... I know what Vancouverites will tell you. I know what folks in the Lower Mainland will tell you. I know what fans of this team will tell you. Ownership needs to commit to some sort of direction here. And it's the same thing they've said for years. Years. And I know you can't play. You cannot run a a franchise just placating the fan base. The Toronto Maple Leafs tried to do that for years. And it ended up screwing them. Mm -hmm. The Vancouver Canucks need to make bold decisions. And all I've seen over the last little while is middling. Those bold decisions need to start now. And as much as I like the look of both of those two guys with their bald head and their glasses, they need to make bold decisions (laughs) starting now. Not yesterday. You're tearing at the culture of your franchise repeatedly by not making these tough decisions. I feel like after all of this for Vancouver... To call this a new low, which is what they're doing right now among the fan base and the media in the lower mainland, this is is a new low. And I didn't think that we could get here this season, which is why a couple weeks ago I said trade somebody. Do something. Don't just sit here because, again, you're screwing the culture of the franchise by letting all this fester. I mean, so many positive stories from Canadian hockey teams last night. And you go to the Canucks? Are you, are, are you not in agreement, though, that this is a step 
in the wrong direction for a team already 15 steps down that road? Like, oh, am I crazy to go to the Canucks first? No, not at all. I think, honestly, it's it's not getting exhausting, but from from it's, it's almost frustrating to, to watch from an outsider's perspective. It's like you got to do something about, like you said, tearing at the fabric of this culture. Like even JT Miller's reactions again last night. It's like there's clearly something sour going on there in addition to the losing and you have to make a decision so you got you got to start you got to start somewhere somewhere and they haven't soon. done it yet sooner somewhere rather soon. than later soon somewhere but pk suban got somewhere on her soon. yeah that won. was cool in montreal yeah pk wearing a nice jacket goes out talks to the crowd and he's always had a real appreciation for being a piece of a piece of fabric mm-hmm. if you will yeah. in a nice. franchise as great as the montreal canadians so it was nice to see him go out there and to do it the way he did it as always uh while helping people along the way and is it just me or like listen it's hard to upstage what pk is wearing in this moment but it, has Carey Price turned into some sort of Yellowstone character before our very own eyes? Like, I don't know if it's Johnny Cash or he's on Yellowstone. Yeah, but yeah. it was it was nice to see the low three five. He looks one like more Rip. time. Yeah, no, he looks like he looks like Rip from Yellowstone. <laughs> he does he's, look like Rip. It's a good outfit. Very yeah. topical because people I know people like uh, Yellowstone. Although I think the show has fallen off a little bit in, in season. But did they so. change like providers too? So you had to switch from yeah, it's like Paramount now. Yeah, you went yeah. to go from Amazon to Paramount and pay for another one. By the way, it's all just cable. Yeah, it's confusing. Rogers Cable. What about the first uh, South Dakota-born player? to score in the National Hockey League with the Calgary Flames last night. Oh, you're going Dewar? Dewar. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did it. That's, I don't know if the first South Dakota, do you care about the first South Dakota? I mean, it's a good story. It's just a thing. There's always a first, so you might as well just, (laughs) if you're going to talk about it, you might as well outline the first. I like that he said, I think I blacked out. (laughs) He got his first goal. We've had a bunch of kind of really cool firsts in the National Hockey League over the last little while, Mm -hmm. whether it's Bobby McMahon, or Vincent Dearnay, or this guy. And, and he gets a goal, he gets his first. That's that's pretty cool. Jets bounce back, Hellebuck, bunch of good saves. The, the Kraken might be the most impressive of them all. To beat Boston in Boston and not allow Boston to score in Boston, like... We outlined this yesterday. I mean, you did. Talking well, about just the depth of their team and how they're surprising people because of it. But I also said, I don't know if they can make enough saves to sustain this long term and lo and behold they go into Boston who hadn't lost in regulation at home and not only beat them they shut them out yeah at home 19 one and three now Boston 32 five and four on the season are the Boston Bruins and the Seattle Kraken who everyone kind of earmarked as the one team that may fall off in the Western Conference isn't doing it right now I'll tell you that much there's one more hockey story I know that you wanted to get to a 14-year-old phenom from Slovakia scores a Michigan goal against Sweden at the IIHF Women's World Under-18s. A 14-year-old? Yeah, this story is worth talking about. It's a Slovakian woman, girl, 14s girl, right? Like, that's a girl yeah. who's out there yeah. playing with women, although they're all under 18. It's crazy. Her name is Nella Lopusovano. And uh, oh, I That's pronunciation. Lopus. I give you credit. Sanova. Lopasanova. Nella Lopasanova. So she's 14. She's playing with girls who are 
three years older than her in the U18. She has 10 points, although the Slovakians lost and they're out. 10.7 goals, okay? But it's not just that. She plays top-flight boys U16 in Slovakia, and apparently she has 31 points in 10 games in that top-flight league in Slovakia. There's just, I mean, Pavel Barber put it out on Twitter, and I just started watching the highlights and going, Holy crap, like it's not just Michigan. She's doing things. This is like the Connor Bedard of women's hockey right now. And to do what she's doing right now, like just go to your local big hawk, uh, big tough hockey dad who thinks that his son's really good and then suggest that a 14-year-old girl would go out, play AAA, and have 31 points in 10 games while playing up. It's unbelievable what she's doing. And the Michigan was just kind of the icing on the top. It's going to be worth keeping track of that story because it's just so much fun following kids. Yeah, obviously, it doesn't always work out. They don't always translate into something special, but we've seen over the last little while, you got Connor Bedard, and now you have this situation here, so worth keeping track of the story. And eventually, we'll learn to say her name properly. Yeah, I'm not even going to add Lupusanova. Lupusanova. Nella Lupusanova. Nella Lupusanova. Nailed it. Nailed it. Plenty more hockey coming up, including Kevin Bieksa. Let's go to the NFL now. Chargers wide receiver Mike Williams has been downgraded to out for tomorrow's game against the Jags. Now, Williams reportedly has a fracture in his back, which does not sound good. It's expected to keep him out two to three weeks. He suffered the injury in Sunday's loss to the Broncos, a game that had no impact, Timmy. No impact on the Chargers' playoff seating. Head coach Brandon Staley has been facing a lot of criticism for leaving his starters in for most of the game. Is that criticism fair, especially knowing what we know? Listen, I got to give you and the rest of the crew on this show credit on this one. You guys were all over it from Sunday to Monday and beyond talking about Brandon Staley. and What the hell was he doing? I mean, Twitter was a fire once yeah. everyone realized that they had kind of locked into their spot and their starters were still in there. Like, what the hell are you doing? Why is Justin Herbert still there? Why is Keenan Allen still there? And here we have Mike Williams. And listen, I have no idea why any of these guys were still playing. Even the explanations that Staley has provided a day later, two days later, three days later. Well, you don't want to overvalue some guys and undervalue. This guy? He's had a history of injuries. You left him in a game. He's one of your best receivers, if not your best receiver. And now he's out for the playoffs because you left him in there. I I have no idea what they were doing, but I can tell you this. If they lose this weekend, Brandon Staley's gone. I stand behind what we did in last week's game. Unless the players were telling you they wanted to play or they were trying to hit some sort of mark so that they could cash. We've seen that before, right? Mm -hmm. Where a coach will play a guy looking for a million-dollar bonus or something like that, and you kind of sort of understand it. Not this one, I have no idea. And because of it, the line is slowly moving down against the Jaguars. Uh, They're not in a great place. And I don't think that uh, that Brandon Staley was going to last this weekend if they lose. No, I mean, the list of injuries this whole season the Chargers have had to deal with. Herbert had the rib injury, obviously. Keenan Allen, hamstring injury. Mike Williams had the ankle before he injured the back. They've been banged up all year. And they're 4-0 with both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen healthy. And Justin Herbert leads the NFL in completion percentage when they're both healthy. And now they're rolling into the playoffs where that's not the case. And they lost the game. Yeah. 
They lost the game anyway to the Denver Broncos, and they still have that guy who punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung as the the, <laughs> the, the medical, the, the doctor for this team. Rough like, I, I don't know what they were doing, and I got a feeling that ownership is going to find out what they were doing yep. very soon. We'll talk about this a little bit more with Nate Burleson and see what he thinks of this situation because it looks ugly from it the outside. Does. Okay, let's go to the NBA then here on First Things First. Uh, the Raptors have their first three-game winning streak of the season after beating the Hornets last night to sweep their two-game mini-series. There's been a lot of rumors and speculation surrounding the Raptors recently. If they go on a bit of a run here, should that change their approach to next month's trade deadline? No. No, they're going to go on a run too. And no, it shouldn't. And I know that there'll be Raptors fans who think that the run again. I mean, listen, what did we say yesterday? The Hornets are the worst team since basically early December in all of the NBA. They're you went back to back against yeah, them. They're so bad. It's, yeah, they're really they're bad. Really bad what are they, 4 and 17 in their last 21? Yeah, they're, they're bad. The last two come against the Raptors. Hard to be listen, that bad. I, I think that you're going to see the Raptors play better. You and I have talked about this. Their yep. schedule is going to ease a little bit. And if they can get. I found it really interesting that it's. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Will Lou pointed it out on Twitter. And Scotty Barnes had a bunch of buckets set up by Fred Van Vliet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, Freddie's assists were basically trying to get Scotty Barnes in on the action. And I think this is kind of, I think they're just tinkering a little bit. And it'll be really interesting to see what they do until the deadline. But I, I think it's a no-brainer. I think Gary Trent Jr. has to go. Because if you can't resign him and you let him go for nothing... Uh, for a team that's just simply not good enough this year, mm-hmm. then you've lost an opportunity. So I think Gary Trent Jr. will probably be dealt, and I wonder what's going to happen with Fred VanVleet. Like I wouldn't be surprised if quietly there aren't some things going on to figure out what's going to happen with Fred VanVleet before yeah, the sense. deadline. The, the, the one this question, is Michael Grange. He says the same thing. The one question I have about about Gary is that he's what days away from turning 24 years of age. He's been. One of their better players recently. I think he leads the team since mid-November with 20 points per game. He's shooting the ball much better than he did earlier in the season. Been more of a disruptor. Is that not the type of guy at that age that you think is a potential building block? And and I understand that if you can't re-sign him, you have to trade him away to get something for him. But if there is a way you can re-sign him, would you not want to do that? You've noticed over the last little while that a lot of that has come against benches. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they've been pumping his tires. Has he been nearly consistent enough? A shrewd enough? move, yeah. yeah, if you're trying to trade him. Yeah, yeah they, he hasn't been nearly consistent, consistent enough to warrant the hundred or so million dollars that he's going to get out mm-hmm. there. And I think that's why he was available in a deal for Norm Powell. Like, an expiring Norm Powell deal was sent to Portland to get Gary Trent Jr. still at this age. And I think what the Portland Trailblazers and the Toronto Raptors are starting to understand is that if you can get consistency out of this guy, he can be very valuable. The yeah. problem is you can't get consistency out of this guy. If they do, or if they had more depth where they could just bring him off the bench, then maybe that works. But why would you pay a guy $100 million to come off your bench? The contracts, you can't. yeah. It, it makes things a lot less tenable when you think about how expensive guys at that age specifically, averaging that amount of points, end up being. Yeah. It's hard. Did you see the the Brooklyn Nets lost without Kevin Durant to the Boston Celtics? And the entire year I've thought this very, like, Ben Simmons in Brooklyn 
with Kyrie and Kevin Durant doesn't have to shoot. Mm -hmm. And that'll make this team okay. And over the last little while, he hasn't had to. But with KD now out, there is pressure on Kyrie and Ben Simmons, and their history would suggest that they want nothing of the pressure that they are going to get over the next little while. We should do something with someone who knows this team intimately, because I'm honestly, KD, for all you'll say about him off the court and the burner accounts, on the court he's been a great teammate, mm -hmm. a wonderful teammate. No matter where he's gone, he's fit in, whether it was with Russell Westbrook in OKC, that young squad, Golden State worked out for them while they were on the court. He's made this work. Pressure's on Kyrie and Ben now with him out. How hilarious is that you said he doesn't have to shoot? He's in the NBA <laughs> making millions of dollars, and they can still get away with having a guy like that not yeah. shooting the basketball. Last night he had zero points yeah. on it's three unbelievable. shots. It's unbelievable. And they lost. But that's what he's been doing this entire right. time while they went on this ridiculous run. It's shocking. Four shots, five shots, still to come. Kevin Bieksa will drop by with his thoughts on the Canucks. No way in on what I just went through. Plenty more. I had a hockey night in Canada on a Friday. The great John Wertheim provides a preview to the Australian Open with us. And after the break, my friend and yours, Nate Burleson, ahead of wildcard weekend in the National Football League. It's Tim and Friends on a Friday getting you set for Hockey Night in Canada and the Co-op Canadian Open. Super wildcard weekend. That'd be insane. I am here for the fireworks show. Oh, and there it is. Bingo. One of the great throws you'll see all year. First to go for the five. Brady Evans. Yes, sir. Touchdown. form of his life. What a season he's putting together. Feeds Matt. And a shot by Kucherov to stop. Kucherov scores on the rebound. Kucherov, Stanko shoots, he scores. And this team is having trouble defending. Merci pour la belle vie, Montréal. Je t'aime, Montréal. Now, since the shift in the playoff format in 2020, the NFL has rebranded this, the opening weekend of the playoffs, Super Wildcard Weekend. And since it's no longer just Wildcard Weekend, I need the Superman of analysts, not just CBS Mornings, not just the NFL on CBS, not just NFL Slime Time, but this Superman now apparently flies. Nate Burleson joins us now, and to quote, Noel Day Moore, what the hell, man? I'm engaged. Were you skydiving, Nate Burleson? What the hell happened on CBS this morning? Well, hey, time out. My man quoted Noel Day Moore. He took me back to my old teammate. Yes. That was fire, too. Right. Yeah, look at my face. You see my face right before I went out? I was like, eee. That was the moment where I realized there was no turning back. And listen, I was sitting here trying to cover it up with my ego, my confidence, bravado, whatever describes a man really dismissing what he really feels, which is fear, anxiety, and stress. I just had to shove all of that down until I got in that plane. But when they opened up that door, it got so real, Tim. Yeah. I'm talking about like 
I wanted to whisper to the pilot, please take me down. But at that point, we had the cameras, producers, everybody up there. They're waiting for me to do this big jump along with my guy Ryan. Shout out to Ryan, who I was attached to. But I said this early and I'll say it again because I think people need to hear it. They oftentimes say, you know, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. I don't think you should fear fear, but I think you should you should fear the idea of listening to your body when it's lying to you. What do I mean by that? I had an empty stomach, empty bladder. I didn't eat that much before. I didn't eat or drink in the morning because I knew that my body would possibly have a malfunction. I was scared that much. But because of that, right, when I started to duck walk to that door, like you seen, yeah. my body was like, hey, man, you got to poop. Hey, you got to pee. Hey, you got to throw up. Literally, my body was telling me I had to do all of these things. You have to vomit. You have to go to the restroom. And I had to talk to myself and yeah. say, no, you don't. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with you. You don't have to throw up. You don't have to use the bathroom. Your body is lying to you right now because you are scared. Yes. So you either have to lean into this moment or you're going to have to tell everybody that we have to land this plane and they're going to be looking at you sideways. So my advice to everybody who's facing any type of fear, and I know it's easier said than done, oftentimes your body will lie to you in order for you to find that place of comfort. Break through that comfort, man, and tackle your, your wildest fears. That's uh, that's so good. That is so awesome. So this is one of your like, cause I I was never scared of heights, and then I climbed like this dome in Italy where it was like really tight spaces, and ever since then I am like, I am scared poopless uh, of heights, <laughs> and especially when my kids are around now. All of a sudden, like I'm I'm like grabbing them and holding them and making yeah. sure they're not going near the, and I'm like what. You're supposed to be dad. Like, what the hell are you doing? So was this one of your phobias that you kind of literally faced? Yeah, I, I had it since I was a kid. You know, when I would get anywhere above three stories, I mean, let oh, alone wow. in a high building or on some type of, uh, you know, <laughs> apparatus where I'm way above the ground, um, my knees would get weak, my stomach would feel funny, and my, my head would get light. And that's that's even still to this day. I just have a little bit more peace and comfort now that I've jumped out of a plane. But, Tim, <laughs> I would encourage anybody, I would encourage you to do it. If, if, if you think it looks wild, it is. But it is the most transformative thing that I've ever done. Wow. That's saying something. And this is a dude that has tackled his fears almost literally on the football field, <laughs> or at least had his fears tackled. Uh, every once right. in a while, anyone isn't bringing it house. All right, so let, let's let's talk a little football here as yeah. I try and transition. Um, this this Bills Bengals game almost seems destined to happen now. Like I know we're not talking about it here, but Dolphins without their top two QBs. I guess the Ravens are without their top two QBs. Like, is there any chance that either one of those teams, the Dolphins or the Ravens, wins this weekend? It's tough because, you know, in the playoffs, my thought is that if you make it into the tournament, you have a chance. Um, but when you look at the Dolphins, when they're playing with Tua versus when they're not, they're such a different team. Yeah. They are so explosive. The timing is perfect. When Tua's delivering those in-cut routes to Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and then, you know, spreading the ball around to tight ends and running backs, they're just a completely different team. So that's going to be an uphill battle. I got the, I got the bills in that one. Um, and it might not even be close. When it comes to the Ravens, it's the same thing. You know, Lamar is an absolute game changer. That that whole team is different. And when he's on the field, everybody else is that much better. Um, from Mark Andrews all the way down to their, their running back uh, one. So for me, I, I just feel like when you're playing with your backups and then the backup to the backup, 
um, in the playoffs up against teams that are fully stacked, it's going to be tough. But to answer your question about it being destiny, it does seem like that. It does seem like we are going to see this matchup that we were supposed to when the DeMar Hamlin injury happened. But I think KC also has something to say about that. And and that's going to be the ultimate X factor when talking about these two squads making a magical run to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they, they will, uh, without a doubt. Listen, uh, staying in the AFC, and I want to kind of walk down the road of first time in the playoffs because for some okay. reason it seems like it's tougher when it's your first time. we got Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, that's sexy. Uh, always tough to win your first playoff game. Someone's going to win their first playoff game in that matchup. Same thing with Geno Smith as he faces our boy Brock Purdy. Who, who do you trust most out of the first-time starters in this year's playoffs? That's such a tough question because when it comes to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert, they have learned how to take care of the ball um, and lean on their playmakers. The only thing that is going to hurt Justin Herbert is if Mike Williams isn't playing. Yeah. And, you know, that's a completely different conversation. You know, the, the starters playing in a game that didn't matter at the Just end of the season it, yeah. and your star player gets banged up. Uh, but they will lean on Austin Eckler, who is the ultimate X factor. But that guy right there, he's a beast. You want to talk about throwing it up for the 50-50 ball, and he's turning it 95-5. to five. Like, that's, that's what type of guy that you might be missing if he's out with that back injury, which he has dealt with throughout his career. Trevor Lawrence on the other side, for a team that won, that lost five games in a row at one point, who they became at the end of the season, um, they're the team that, and I say this, and it makes sense to some, it doesn't make sense to others, you don't know what you don't know, and that's a good thing. Sometimes being oblivious, ignorant to how big the moment is, is a really good thing. They're playing with house money. You know, who would have thought the Jags would have made the playoffs, especially given what they've been through when it comes to coaches, their type of season, and where they are right now? So, yeah, they can go out and shock the world. I absolutely believe so. But as far as trust, when I'm looking at um, a quarterback that I can lean on, my my heart says Geno because I'm a Seahawk. But my logic says Brock Purdy. Now, I know you're saying, Nate, come on, wait a minute. You're talking Mr. Irrelevant? You trust you're talking about defense. the guy that came in after <laughs> Trey Lance went down and Garoppolo went down. You're talking that guy? Yeah. You're talking about the dude who's had this magical run, but it's regular season. They calm down. It's not, it's not Joe Montana. It's Brock Purdy. Yeah, I get that. And I understand the criticism and the doubt. But we've talked about it over the last few weeks. He's been looking for Kittle. Kittle has showed up as, once again, one of the best tight ends because a young quarterback's best friend is a tight end who's a beast. He has that. Another close friend to a young quarterback is a great defense. He has that. Another good thing for a young quarterback is an offensive coordinator who is creative. And not to mention, has some skeletons in the closet of the playoffs. Because he's had some moments, Kyle Shanahan, where he can look back and say, I'm going to do things different, do things different because of this. So trust comes with all of these surrounding variables, which is Brock Purdy with Kittle, a great defense and a really, really, really good offensive play caller in Kyle Shanahan. Listen, Mike Williams is out. I wonder if Brandon Staley is out if they lose that Ooh. game against Trevor Lawrence, given what we have seen over the last little while. Same thing with Mike McCarthy in Dallas. Like, there's a lot of trust issues there, and Dak's still trying to prove uh, his worth in Dallas when it matters most. I think we've seen that he can do it in the regular season. I think we've seen that he is elite. So what happens when it matters Look at most? That. And, like, let's let's walk through this road. They get Tom Brady in the Bucks, Like, this is, I know it's a team under 500. I know this isn't 
old Tom Brady teams, but the Cowboys have never beaten Brady. Does Dak ditch the doubters? I think this is the most difficult matchup to break down for me because on paper, the Cowboys are everything you want them to be. They are as good as advertised at moments. Um, They are as dominant as they want to be when they're playing well on all three levels. This team stacks up on paper, talent-wise, up against some of those teams in the 90s. With all that said, we have seen good Cowboys teams falter in the postseason. And to your point, Tim, Tom Brady in the playoffs. If you're asking me to bet the house that he's not going to show up, I wouldn't because Tom Brady knows what it's like. He understands what it takes. And and, and that's what you're talking about. You're alluding to that. You know, you, you, you're you setting it up with the first-time QBs in the playoffs. You were talking about who do you trust and who's going to step up. Ultimately, all these questions Tom Brady has answered time and time again. We don't have to ask him if he's going to be composed or if, it, if the moment's going to be too big or if he can communicate that to his team and motivate the guys that went through a rough season in the Buccaneers. You know, I, I wouldn't call this game right now and say that it's going to be Buccaneers over Cowboys, but if you're asking me who's going to win, I couldn't confidently say that it will be Dallas because it's going to be, of course, the quarterback matchup. Dak proven his worth. Tom Brady does. He still got it. That's the easy headline. You want to know what the real headline is going to be? Which coach is going to step up and which coach is going to choke in the moments that matter? We oftentimes look at these players and we're like, oh, man, drop ball in the third quarter. Or the QB shouldn't have thrown that interception. Well, only if that DB picked it off. You know what? That punt return, that was key. That changed the game. But what about the coaches that run the same game plan that they've been running all year and the defense stops them? Or the coach that adds extra wrinkles, a few new plays, and changes up what we've been seeing out of them, and the coach that is playing chess, not checkers, and ends up out-coaching the other guy. So this game, to me, is going to come down to coaching. To be honest, the Cowboys' run to the Super Bowl is going to come down to coaching. And to your point, McCarthy, guys like Staley, we're all watching because there's these whispers about certain guys and certain dudes that are available. you know. And and Sean Payton is sitting back waiting in the wings and word on the street is wherever he goes, they're going to break the bank for him. This one's real interesting to me because Dallas needs to run the ball. What do the Bucks do well? They stop the run. Dak needs the help. Bucks 6-2 and two and Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks are on the field together. They should be mm. on the field together. Akeem Hicks out of Regina. Got to throw that in there just because I know my people in Regina need to hear that. Right, uh, right. Giants and Vikings, less than a minute to go here. Uh, are you worried at all about a Vikings team that has had this problem in the past of showing up when it matters most? Yeah, speaking of scared of heights, it's been a roller coaster ride for the Minnesota Vikings up and then down, up and then down. I'll tell you what, they can't afford to get behind in the playoffs. I don't care if it's against the Giants or not. You know, the Vikings are a legit squad. They are good. But when it comes to getting behind and playing this comeback kid um, approach to every game and this late push in the third and fourth quarter, that's not going to fly. You do that against a team like the Giants where they have Saquon who could run the ball and milk that clock, they will be in trouble. Um, if I had to pick one, though, I would go with the Vikings in this one. Uh, Nate Burleson flying like his son on Instagram. At least that's what I've seen over the last <laughs> little while. Love seeing the little men doing big things in Jersey and beyond. Nate, appreciate you doing this as always. Uh, we'll see how it works out, and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. I'll see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, our Canadian friend, Nate Burleson.
born in Calgary. Uh, speaking of Canadians, Nathan Rourke, according to several reports, including Farhan Lalji, uh, seems like 12 teams were worked out for by the BC Lions quarterback. Uh, there seem to be some meaningful guarantees wow. on the table, and we could get a decision by this weekend on where he ends up. I saw some CFL fans suggesting that there should be some sort of rally to keep him. It's not going to happen. To me, it almost feels like you should just wish him his best because at its prime, the CFL was sending players one after another to the NFL, and you could say this is the pipeline. Right, it's a good look. Yeah, it is a good look. Yeah. It, it validates what's going on up here. He's, he deserves it too. Just Without think, a doubt, Based yeah. on performance and talent. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of a difference yeah. in money. All right, uh, little first grand slam of the tennis season gets underway down under in just a couple of days. Can anyone stop Novak Djokovic on the men's side? Can Felix Auger, Aliassime, keep his incredible run up? And what to expect from Bianca Andreescu and Leila Fernandez? We'll ask the Tennis Channel's John Wertheim next, right here on Tim and Friends. Welcome back, friends. Aussie Open gets going Monday in Melbourne. Seven Canadians in the field. Two of them meet in the first round as Felix Auger-Aliassime will face Vasek Pospisil. Dennis Shapovalov is your 22 seed, 22nd seed, 20 seed. Either way, he's facing Serbia's Dusan Lajovic on the women's side, 39th ranked. See, that's where it is. It's ranked and seed. That's where we're screwing up here. Got a good and since you understood. Leila Fernandez. Uh, gets Alize Cornet, Bianca Andreescu, ranked 42nd in the world right now, feeds, uh, meets Maria Buskova. If Andreescu reaches the third round, she could meet number one seed Iga Sviatek. Rebecca Marino and qualifier Catherine Sebov are also in the field. Got it good and since you understood, I might not have it. So let's bring in, uh, listen, truly guest with, uh, truly blessed with guests today. Mm -hmm. NFL playoffs start. We get Nate Burleson, Aussie Open about to start and we get SI executive editor, senior writer yes, and like Nate, simply one of the best in the business. John Wertheim joins us here. Thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate you. Very kind introduction. My pleasure. Happy to talk tennis. <laughs> Awesome. I love talking sports with you, period. I know tennis is, is your go-to, and I know that we're supposed to talk about Novak and Rafael Nadal and maybe Sviatek's potential complete dominance on the women's side, but we're on in Canada, eh? So, like, we got to talk about the seven Canadians <laughs> in the field. Is this, could this, are we getting closer to the point where maybe one of the men could win one of these bad boys? There's one man in particular uh, who is the number six seed, but I've, I've got to ask, you showed that board, what did Canada do to upset Australia? <laughs> I, I always think of you as, as parallel, it's like yeah. roughly the same population, lovely countries, roughly the same size. Look at this, you've got two Canadians playing each other, so someone's going to get eliminated before round two. Um, Dennis is number 20. He played Nadal last year, took him to five sets, and right now he is right near Nadal in the draw in that Again. rough rough order you've got Andresu, a major winner just three and a half years ago she plays a sweet seed Layla Fernandez against a veteran player even the qualifier gets the number four seed that is a <laughs> brutal brutal draw for your country I'm sad to say yeah I don't know what we did to the Aussies I mean I, I thought the same thing we we're supposed to be in parallel universes on other side either sides of the globe but uh, obviously we've done something there so listen we watched as Felix went on a run to end last year like 
I don't think we've ever seen from a Canadian man before. Does he have a shot in this tournament? He really does. Yeah. And he, you know, a year ago, he hadn't won a tournament. Uh, now he's won four tournaments. He's a top 10 player. He's maturing. There's still some results that are puzzling with Felix. You know, he lost in the first round of the U.S. Open, the previous major. But he can play on this fast surface. He's sort of growing into his game. Um, I just got wa done watching this tennis version of uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix. And yeah. you really get a sense of how measured and how sort of poised and mature he is. Novak Djokovic is your overwhelming favorite, uh, both with the odds makers and with sort of common sense. He's trying to win this thing for a 10th time. But I think Felix is very close to being number two. Um, never mind what your odds makers say. I would put him hmm. right up there as probably having the second best chance. Now, obviously, odds makers are playing who will bet what, and that's why maybe a Canadian would drop down a little bit. But does Alcaraz being out kind of open this up to the point where, like, listen, Minus money to start a tournament never happens. Like, no one is less than even money, like, against the field. But is that fair for Novak Djokovic? Yeah, can we just say how crazy this is? There are yeah. 127. This isn't like some, you know, <laughs> Floyd Mayweather's fighting someone. And it's there are 127 other possibilities here. Um, that is an overwhelming favorite, as, as much as you will ever see in uh, in, in a sport like tennis. But, um, no, I think Alcaraz won the previous major, so all the other guys sort of now have this proof positive that, look, it can be done. And now he's not in this one. So it's kind of the best of the both worlds for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the bunch. But, you know, I mean, if Felix is is 21, I think there's still there's a bit of impatience of sort of when are we going to see that major? But he's really progressing nicely. And, you know, it, it takes one strained hamstring from Djokovic for this field really to sort of blow wide open. And I would put Felix right up there as you know, the, the second or third possibility after after Novak. Hmm. The, the woman's side seemingly is much harder to predict. I know Iga is obviously the overwhelming favorite on that side, but outside of that, do, do you know what we're going to get from someone like Bianca Andreescu or Leila Fernandez as they both try and find the footing that got them kind of uh, international attention? There is, uh, as to use the hip phrase, there, there's a big delta there. Um, you know, I mean, but both of them have played deep into majors, Bianca winning one and Layla Fernandez reaching the final of one. And yet they come into this. They're both unseated. They're very close in the rankings. I think uh, Layla's 39 and Bianca's 42. They both have rough draws. But, you know, I mean, there's there's a track record here. And both of them come in with some level of confidence that they've done this before. And, you know, the, the women's field, Shvantec, as you say, is the favorite. But, you know, she, she lost to Jessica Pagula daughter of uh of bill's owners the pagula family yes. last week so who knows i mean again just knowing that you've been able to do this before in a major that means a lot in tennis and the women's game in particular and uh if both of those players address you and layla can get through their first matches which are both tough um they could go far both of them yeah it feels like this could be a big couple of weeks for the pagulas doesn't it Exactly. Well, imagine if they pulled the double. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Either, you know, no, no Super Bowl and no major, but uh, yeah. both of them definitely in the conversation. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, before I let you go, you mentioned the Netflix series. I have yet, listen, everyone knows Drive to Survive did wonders for F1. From the initial viewing, do you feel like we might see something different or something similar from Breakpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think Drive to Survive did well because, you know, Philistines like me had no idea how F1 even worked. This is not for hardcore tennis fans. Um, they're they're not going to learn a whole lot. If you're new to tennis, though, 
you really get a sense of these players. You get a sense of the sport. You get a sense of how grueling it is. You meet players like the ones you're showing right now who are all very likable. I don't think it's going to do what Drive to Survive did for F1, but I think it's definitely a, a positive for, for tennis, especially for a casual fan or someone who knows nothing about the sport. Awesome. Can we check in with you throughout the tournament? You got it. Well, Absolutely. One of the best in the business, John Wertheim, joining us uh, from New York. Thank you. Appreciate it a lot. Anytime. You got it. Uh, there's uh, John Wertheim, Sports Illustrated, 60 Minutes. Like That's a show. Like, yeah. You're on 60 Minutes. You're, you're a big a deal? deal. Yeah. 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 Felix should be on there after he wins the Aussie Open. Note to self. Boom. Send resume to 60. Uh, time for a break. When we come back, a special Friday night edition of Hockey Night in Canada is on its way. So we'll talk to Kevin Bieksa from the Hockey Night Studios. We'll discuss his former team, the Canucks, and what in the good name of Tony Tanti is going on there. It's all next. Thank you very much, Team Dogs, back here for the final half an hour of Tim and Friends. Hope it's better than the first hour, because I was caca. <laughs> Draw number 15 of the Canadian Open, Co-op Canadian Open, coming up in about a half an hour on Sportsnet 1. No guarantees, as you can see by that. Uh, Hockey Night in Canada will follow us. I'm nervous. Ron McLean's next. I think that's what it's Kevin BX is going to no, join us. Sense. Yeah, No, I, I'm, I think I'm nervous. Uh, they'll join us in mere moments from now. But we're going to start with hockey. Jets getting set to face the Penguins. Jets have won six of their past seven games, including last night. As Connor Hellebuck made 39 saves in a bounce back. David Riddick will get the start in net against Dustin Tokarski for the Penguins. Pittsburgh has won two straight after losing six straight. With more, let's head to Pittsburgh and Sean Reynolds. Sean, aside from that hiccup in Detroit, feels like the Jets have really found their stride as they got healthy, huh? Well, it sure looks that way, the way they've won six of their last seven games. But you listen to their head coach, and he would say not so at all. It really seems, and, and this is the way it looks, like the Jets have fallen off the structure that Rick Bonus had set up for this team that made them such a defensive force. And you can kind of see that. And, you know, they allowed, what was it, 10, 12 goals in their last three games, dropped from being the second, uh, second best offensive team in the league and have dropped down the list a little while. They're winning, no doubt, Tim, but they're, they're not winning the way that their head coach thinks they should be and they're not winning the way he thinks they'll need to win when it comes playoff time. None of this matters to Rick Bonus. Other than getting into the playoffs, the regular season doesn't mean anything to him. He's not happy. He wants them playing a different way. He wants them shaping up for the big show at the end of the year because he thinks they're capable of doing some damage. It's interesting because every Canadian team feels like they're in the same boat. You know you can win in the regular season. You also know you have to be a certain way when the postseason starts, which may make the deadline very interesting in Winnipeg. There's some cap space. This is a good team. Do you expect Kevin Shovel Dayoff to play a factor as we head into that deadline? 
I do. I, I think he needs to. I think this will be Kevin Chevaldeoff's biggest trade deadline ever because, you know, the, the clock is ticking. I think we've talked about this before. You know, Mark Scheifele, he's got the, this year and then another year after that. They've got team control over Pierre-Luc Dubois for only this year and another year after that. Blake Wheeler is another guy. Their goaltender, Connor Hellbuck's another guy. This is their window. And we know in the past, we've seen this from Kevin Chevaldeoff, when he thinks this team has, has the ability to win, he's gone out and got the pieces he thinks they need to win you don't want to send this team into the playoffs and find out that you could have used a little bit more depth in your bottom six or find out that you needed a big time defenseman on the back end right. whatever Kevin Sheveldayoff identifies that they need I have the feeling he's going to go out and pay whatever price it takes to get that yeah I was reading the story sportsnet.ca with your podcast partner uh, Kenny and Rennie Ken Weeb good story if you want more on that check it out sportsnet.ca always great catching up with you Sean thanks for doing this Thanks, Timmy. There is Sean Reynolds covering the Winnipeg Jets. Meantime, the Edmonton Oilers wrapping up their California swing in San Jose. You can see it regionally, Sportsnet West. Jack Campbell will get the start in net once again with Stuart Skinner. Expected to return tomorrow at home against Vegas. Leon Dreisaitl will play in game number 600 in the NHL. O'Connor McDavid celebrates his 26th birthday. All right, quickly to baseball. I just want to get you some news here as the Jays have avoided arbitration with, well, a bunch of players. Jordan Romano gets $4.5 million in his arbitration. Danny Jansen, 3.5. Adam Simber, a shade over $3 million, as does newcomer Dalton Varsho. Feel like that's important to avoid arbitration with a guy that you just picked up. Kevin Biggio, Tim Meza, Santiago Espinal, Trevor Richards, and Trent Thornton all signed deals. The big ones, Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette, no deals as of yet. They can still sign before a hearing takes place, but today the deadline to exchange contract figures expiring. We'll keep you up to date if we hear more. All right, let's dig a little deeper on the game of ice hockey, and we do so with Hockey Night in Canada's Kevin BX. Been too long. Hey there, Couldn't Tim. get the I won't do McAuliffe show in the 2023 contract. What's going on? First one of the year. First and last show uh, <laughs> appearance of the year. <laughs> well, well, we'll make sure that we savor this. And I gotta, like, I gotta walk the road of Vancouver with you. I know the market is tough. You know the market is tough. But earlier today, I saw a headline from Sportsnet 650. That's the flagship station for the Canucks, for the uninitiated across the country. Um, and it said, I think this is the lowest point for the Canucks since the Marc Messier era. What, like, what's your take on what's going on in Vancouver right now? Wow. Yeah, it is. It's a low time for sure. And it's a market that... Tim, it was spoiled for a good 10 years, and, and, and even before I got there, the West Coast Express, and it was a good team and a lot of great players, and they had a lot of success, and they were always making the playoffs, and they were just you know, knocking at the door, and, and obviously the last uh, you know, five, six, seven years have been tough there in Vancouver, you know, barring the one playoff appearance in the bubble, it's been crickets, so um, you know, the fans aren't happy, and, and the, the fans aren't happy, the media's not happy, and it just snowballs, so it's, it's a tough time in Vancouver, and the tough times, they challenge you. They bring out your true character. And, you know, the guys with the character in that room, they're going to have to push forward and see if they can climb out of this. And this is obviously doesn't look like it's the year they're going to get into the playoffs. But, to, you know, to finish the season, and I know where it's early January, but we're talking about finish the season strong, develop some good habits, find out what kind of a team you can be, what kind of a core you can have, because the core is going to change. 
Uh, we all know the contract talks with Bo and, and, and you know, JT Miller signing the big deal. The, the core is going to be changed a little bit in the next uh, little while here. The trade deadline will be interesting for this team. But certainly, like, for the identity, for people that have watched this team throughout the year, you're, you're pretty confused at times what the identity of this team. How is this team going to win long-term? How are they going to make the playoffs? they got to figure that out. The, the fan base is pissed uh, and they have been for a little while. I know you can't manage a team based on what the fan base is saying. That, to me, is not smart. However, it feels like they almost need to be placated right now. Like, I don't know of a time where I have heard this fan base as upset as they are right now. Can you say pissed on your show? Uh, I hope so. Well, it's your show, right? <laughs> I don't know why. They I can't change so. the name of it, it right? They can't yeah. just call it Ann Friends. They, they could. <laughs> they could. Uh, maybe Jesse and Friends. <laughs> Jesse, if it doesn't, it sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, uh, Tim, I think you, you always take the temperature of the media and the fans and everything, but I think uh, when you're the guy in charge of, of this team, of Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, you have to trust your own instincts and you have to build this team the way you think it should be. And, and when you come to a team and you already have players in place, like you, you have to see which, which of those players fits your mold or fits what you think this team can be to be successful. And the ones that don't, you got to get rid of. And sometimes that's easier said than done because there's, there's contracts in place and some guys are harder to trade than others. But certainly they have to put their stamp on this team, and, and they will. Do you, do you think, and I've said this about the Toronto Raptors because they're coming up to a deadline where they've got to make some tough decisions, and part of me wants to worry about the culture of the team. Do you think that this is tearing at the culture of the team and that's kind of what they've got to worry about for the rest of this season and into the deadline? The thing is, when, when you're a losing team for, for a long period of time, it, it affects your not only the players now, but the players you know, of the future because you've had players that have come up and you know Pedersen and Hughes, exceptional players, but they've lost pretty much their whole career. And after a while, you know, the losing just wears on you, the bad habits, the animosity in the room. And, and, and you look at Seattle, like why has Seattle been so successful this year? Like last year, you know, first year in the yeah. league and expansion team this year, I talked last week about they have, they have six Stanley Cup winners on that team, six guys that have won Stanley Cups that know the habits and the culture necessary to be successful in this league on a consistent basis. And the Canucks don't have that, right? They don't have the Stanley Cup pedigree like a team like Seattle. And they don't have the guys that have won in this league. And, and those are the guys I think you need to build. You need guys like that in your team, in your core, in your dressing room. So the good habits can kind of filter off of them. What a tough balance, though, in this league now, Kevin. We're we're paying guys before they do anything. Yeah, and that and that's the way it goes, right? Yeah. It's uh, the entry level, and then it's the big ticket. And there's not even like I remember when bridge deals were a big thing, or like uh, you know you get you get paid for a two-year bridge after your entry level, and and you know that was still a little bit too lucrative in my opinion and now like look at it forget it. it's it's entry level and and now Big it's deal, monster yeah. deal right away so yeah, if you got potential so you're handcuffed and and it puts more stress and, and more onus on the, on the drafting and now you're not necessarily drafting like the best player but you have to draft a player that can be a leader and can be a core piece for you yeah. for for 10 years Man, that's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be Harder than our job, right? Yeah, way harder than my job, I'll tell you that much. Uh, Jets on hockey night tonight. Nice little bounce back last night, as we mentioned. Hellebuck was uh, Hellebuck. Mm. They, they've got some numbers already. They've got some cap space. I know we're begging for something in Canada, but could this be that team? 
Well, it's, it's not looking like we're going to have a lot of teams in, in Canada, right? We have Winnipeg and Toronto we can count on for sure, and then we're hoping that the two Alberta teams can get into the playoffs. They're, they're, they're in a battle. There's 11 teams in the West that can yeah. make the playoffs right now. The East is pretty much done, barring the Islanders doing something special. But this Jets team is as good of a chance as we have, I think, in Canada to have a, a good run. And Rick Bonus has come in. I'm obviously super biased because he was my favorite coach that I ever played for. But he's, you know, with the stripping away of the captaincy and just resetting the whole the whole team and back to culture and, and roles and just kind of redefining everything and, and implementing a more defensive style because you have one of the best goalies in the world. And then you see the year Morrissey's having. And then, funny enough, like when you implement a more responsible defensive style, you have guys like Shifley and Wheeler and... And uh, Ehlers now back in Connor, they're having great offensive seasons yeah. with their numbers. So it's funny how that works. What made him your favorite coach? I think just the interactions. Like it, there's there's people when you know that they care about your success. And I think like building a relationship first where I knew he cared about me, and then from there on, now I can I'll listen to everything he says, all the critiquing and all the you know the sitting down and dissecting my game. It's it, I know it's all coming from a great place. So I was receptive of everything he said. And then he's obviously a great hockey mind. He's been on the bench for 2,600 games. <laughs> yeah, and crazy. I joked around last week that he's 80 years old, but he's only like 67 or whatever. But he's been in the league for five decades. So yeah, that's the definition of a lifer. Like he's a 2, lifer. 2,600 games. That's and his kids are in the are in the league now. His yeah. three kids and his his wife has been all around North America for him. It's a great great hockey family. That's awesome. All right, I'm not a game dropper, but uh, Connor McDavid was on the show yesterday. Not oh. saying it was a big deal, but it was kind of a big deal. Uh, I've been saying for a while that 10 minutes of three-on-three three should be where we go instead of the shootout. He said nobody likes the shootout. Are we done with the shootout, Kevin Biaxa? Well, what did you think of the gold medal game? Three-on-three three in the gold medal game. Yeah. Su- super exciting. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's the first I've actually thought about it, but I would love 10 minutes of three-on-three three and then axe the shootout. Uh, Call it a tie. Sh- shootout was exciting when it first came, right. Tim, because before that we're ending games in ties and we're like this, you know, we... It's not soccer. We want to see a winner. And, and then the shootout was great. It served its purpose. It got some, some offensive explosion and got to see some great moves. And now I think it's kind of fizzled out and you got to keep evolving. And I love the 10 minute three on three. Great yeah. idea, Connor. I'm not, I'm not ripping the shootout in any way, shape, or if I'm not ripping the NHL for going to the shootout. I'm just saying it's run its course of time. Let's try 10 minutes of three. The only thing is, w- would the Players Association have something to say about playing five more minutes? They would, and I, I think, but I think Connor probably feels like in a 10-minute three-on-three, he has a better chance to score a goal than one shootout. That's what I think he thinks. <laughs> and I bet you a lot of offensive guys feel that same way. Like, I could... I could get three or four chances in a 10-minute three-on-three rather than one one shootout attempt on bad ice. And and there's more cookies available for those guys who put up the numbers, right? Yeah, now we're talking second assists, right? (laughs) We're like, some people specialize in second second assists. Some Uh, on our panel. (laughs) (laughs) All right, before I let you go, we we, uh, also talked about his socks. And I don't know if you've seen the video from after hours of the uh, the little piggies poking through. Did you have any, were you a little stitious? Were you superstitious? Did you have anything like this when you played the game? Well, nothing this disgusting. But uh, <laughs> like my 15-year-old team back in California, they watched this and they were asking me. And I have, I still have the same shoulder pads I wore. I think I got in my last year of junior for the Burlington Cougars. And I still have them. They've been patched up and... The cuffs, the shoulder cuffs were changed once or twice, but I have the same shoulder pads. It's been like probably 25, 25 years now. 
I was just thinking, you, you, work, you are coaching your 15-year-old, right? I am, yes. So, did you watch Nella Lupa-Silvana playing for Slovakia in the world under-18s, like doing the Michigan, the skills that this young girl, she's 14, she plays U16 hockey. Like, I was just, with the men, top flight, has 31 points in 10 games. Mm. Like, can you imagine a girl playing at that level, um, you know, kind of in this spotlight? I have uh, a couple girls in my uh, junior academy, Tim, and, yeah. and they're players, and their skill set is unbelievable. And I'd love to see them at this stage at some point when they get older. But like, my, if I go a week without somebody in my 15-year-old team not trying to do the Michigan practice, <laughs> then it's a, it's a weird week. Like, the skill set on everybody these days, because that's what the game is, and everyone's, you know, it pushes the envelope when one person does it, and the next person's like, i got to be able to do that. But certainly this was pretty impressive. Oh, I love the uh, Selly. Yeah, that too. It's unbelievable just the skill that you see all over. And you're right. I had a I had a father of one of my kids. He's 12, and one of the kids in their team pulled off the Michigan at 12 in a game. Yeah. Like just crazy stuff. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, you've got your one for the year. So Pleasure. we'll see you again uh, in 2024. Sounds good. See you, Tim. <laughs> there is Kevin BX of Hockey Night in Canada. You can check all that out as the Jets are on the ice tonight. Taking on the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Time for one last break. Game time next. Right here on Tim and Friends. Some NFL props, some hockey. We'll get you set for the night. Game day starts with Tim and Friends. And today, it continues with Hockey Night in Canada. That's right. A special Friday night hockey night is on the way in minutes, followed by the Jets and Penguins on Sportsnet. Draw 15 from the Co-op Canadian Open coming up on Sportsnet 1. Sportsnet now has the Thunder and the Bulls after Shigil just Alexander did it again last night. Mm-hmm. Sportsnet 360 has SmackDown and later on, it's the Oilers and Sharks regionally on Sportsnet West. It is game time, but before we get to tonight's games, we're going to look ahead to Super Wildcard Weekend. Nice. Very important that you get the Super in there. Kicks off tomorrow with the Niners and Seahawks. We thought it would be a good time to try and help you make a little bit of cash. So our team has scoured Bet Rivers, crunched some numbers for you, and found one player prop we like for each game this weekend. But please remember to play responsibly. With all the details, here's Anthony Caminuti. It's Super Wildcard Weekend, so why not take a look at one player prop from each game that might be worth sprinkling on. Now look, I'm just here providing some information. Don't go blowing your whole bankroll just because I say so. Let's keep our heads on a swivel out there, all right? All right, let's start in the Bay where the Niners are hosting the Seahawks. I like Christian McCaffrey over 74 and a half rushing yards. Seattle's defense ranks dead last in EPA allowed per rush, which is just a fancy way of saying CMC shouldn't have any issues finding running room, especially considering he picked up 108 yards on the ground against Seattle back in week 15. Next up, we have Christian Kirk, longest reception over 22 and a half yards. A go-to guy for Trevor Lawrence in this offense. Kirk has beaten this prop in 12 of 17 games this season. Meanwhile, the Chargers allow 11 yards per completion, which is sixth worst in the NFL. All right, on to Sunday's games, it's Finns and Bills. I like taking a shot on Dawson Knox anytime touchdown. Knox is second in red zone targets in Buffalo's last four, leading to a touchdown in each of those games. He's also been a go-to guy for Josh Allen in the postseason, scoring four tutties in the Bills' last five playoff games. 
next. I think Minnesota's big midseason acquisition will keep rolling. TJ Hawkinson over four and a half receptions. He's gone over this line seven out of ten times since joining Minnesota and had a whopping 16 targets, 13 receptions, 109 yards, and two scores when he faced the Giants in week 16. Now, hey, it is the playoffs, so why not play the hits? I think that's what the Bengals will do against Baltimore. How about Jamar Chase over six and a half receptions? Now, there is some blow-up potential in this game, but at plus money, it might be worth a shot seeing as how he's gone over this line in his last eight games. And last but not least, how about the GOAT? Tom Brady over 272 and a half passing yards. The Bucks are playing with house money here, so I think Brady will sling it. He's averaging 321.7 pass yards at home this season. Meanwhile, Dallas has allowed 252 passing yards per game over their last three. Those QBs were Sam Howell, Josh Dobbs, and Gardner Minshew. Yikes. That's all I got, folks. Remember, please gamble responsibly. Thank you, Tony Caminiti. I like three of the four. Oh, yeah? We'll see how we did on uh, <laughs> Monday then. Uh, we've got NBA on Sportsnet now tonight as Shea Gilgis Alexander and the Thunder visit the Bulls. Last night, SGA, as Tim just mentioned, put up 37 points, eight boards, and six assists. Just continues to get it done. The Thunder have won three of their last four games and are just one game out of the play in tournament. Don't look now. Do they look like a playoff team to you? I mean, I would suggest that the way they played the Philadelphia 76ers last night. Yes, the way they played the Miami Heat on the road. The road is where they were supposed to struggle, but lo and behold, the baby steps that this franchise is taking and the giant leap that Gilgis Alexander has taken this year has put them in prime conversation to actually get into the tournament in what has become a very convoluted Western Conference. Yeah, everything's so close. The Mavericks were like, a week ago in the play-in tournament, and now they're in, what, fourth? Like, you're moving quickly because of the glut in the West right now. No question. All right, let's go to hockey. We're just minutes away from sending you to Hockey Night in Canada ahead of the Jets and Penguins. It'll be a battle of the backups as David Riddick starts for Winnipeg in the second of back-to-backs, while Pittsburgh's Dustin Tokarski will start in the first of back-to-backs for the Penguins. Last night, Connor Hellebuck made 39 saves and a win over the Sabres after giving up six goals to the wings on Tuesday. Does he deserve to be the goalie for the Central Division at the All-Star game? Yeah. <laughs> Simple enough answer. Yeah. All right, I'll just move on then. It feels like right now, though, we're talking about too many really good All-Stars needing the fan vote. I mean, yesterday we had Connor McDavid on the show. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we did. Hellebuck is in the Vesna conversation, right? Like, he's got to be an All-Star if you're sending eight goalies to an All-Star game, right? Or games. Yeah. Like, Connor Hellebuck's got to be there. Leon dreisaitl has got to be there. And we're going down to fan votes. Like, I, I'm not I'm, – I'm, I don't really understand. I get that you're going to want – more than one from a couple of teams or more than one player. I think that's what we got to get rid of. All-star think, games in general. No, well, no, not all-star games in general. I think we got to get rid of every team needs an all-star. I understand it. I get it. But not every team has an all-star. Let's just have all leagues play dodgeball. Okay, we mentioned yesterday and reiterated today that we had a curling giveaway from the Co-op Canadian Open team Dunstone. You had to enter by... Uh, replying to the tweet that we sent out using the hashtag, hashtag TFCurl. 
and we said we would pick a winner at random. We do have a winner. Congratulations to Elaine Langs. Nice. My mom was an avid curler. She is in her 85th year. I would love to gift this signed shirt to her. Thank you guys, and we will send it to you. Elaine, congratulations. Elaine, make sure that you're following us on Twitter so that we can DM and get your information. All right, that does it for us. Ron McLean, Hockey Night in Canada, coming up next. As always, we thank you for starting your game day right here on Tim and Friends. Before we leave you, we take a look back at the week that was right here on Tim and Friends because it's Friday, Friday then. then. Saturday, Sunday. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? It's Friday then. First things first with Jesse Rubinoff that always starts with a rhyme and a sporting name in an attempt to make people smile. So what's in the queue? Brad Gushu, let it fly, Mama Do Anjai. Let it flow, Dikembe Mutombo. So what's on tap, stubby clap? Oh, nice. A little Mark Spitz there. I like it. Mark Spitz. Yeah. Do you make New Year's resolutions? I don't. I don't. I think it's ridiculous. Do you make New Year's resolutions? No one ever holds them. No. Speaking of working out there, uh, Schwarzenegger. What are you talking about? You told me yesterday you hit the weights for the first time in a little while. Eh? How's the old like swole years. going? It's a New Year's, uh, I guess. Oh, is that what you did? I, I said on the show that I don't do New Year's resolutions because they're stupid, but I, I just, I guess I did. I guess I lied. Sue me. That jersey selection is weirder than the sounds that come out of Joel Embiid's mouth. I don't know if that's brilliant or insane. <laughs> you make Brandon Belt and the chicken tenders at the Ritz Carlton in downtown Toronto. And I quote from a blog in 2019 The Ritz Carlton in Toronto has the best chicken tenders I have ever had in my life. Because let's be honest, chicken tenders are for children. Chicken tenders are for children. Smoke or fire? No, smoke. No, fire. They are for children? Oh. Tenders are good. Can we get our fingers on some chicken tenders? Emory, I will be home for dinner today. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are good. <laughs> they are very good. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Wow!